Phyllis Mitty is a golf professional and a three-time World Long Drive champion. In 2006, she became the first New Zealander and youngest ever to win the World Long Drive Championship. She's since been smashing records at competition level for more than 10 years. With a career full of accolades, Phyllis is passionate about bringing more young Māori and Pacifica women into the sport. In this episode, we talk about her early days following her dad all around the green. She talks about the choice she had to make between professional netball and professional golf, and we discuss the difficulties of being a Polynesian woman in a male-dominated sport. Phyllis also tells us all about her dream to open an academy of sorts to help kids from Aotearoa pursue their college sporting dreams in the USA. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, I'm Kiane. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering Indigenous wahine to be agents of change, cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick-ass Indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique Indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mohine, kiahine. Kia ora te whanau. we are sitting at Redwood Park Golf Club in Swanson today, uh, meeting the very talented, quite amazing Phyllis Meti. Kia orana. Kia orana. <laughs> It's been so lovely to spend the morning with you so far. We've been uh, in a golf buggy driving around the course, <laughs> um, almost falling out <laughs> a couple of times. Uh, I felt like we almost got hit by a ball twice, but you said no it's pretty pretty far away in golf terms. Yes. So we were quite safe. Yes. <laughs> we were good. 50 metres away is far. <laughs> so the drama queen of me was like, we're going to die. <laughs> um, but it's been really great coming back here to your old stomping ground where this all started for you. Mm. Um, before we get into this corridor about golf and the amazing achievements that you've had in golf, let's talk a little bit about who you are and where you're from and what your upbringing was like. Can you share a little bit of that with us? So uh, both of my parents are from the Cook Islands, uh, both from Arorangi. Yeah, yeah. My family's from there too, yes. And um, (laughs) so my dad was born and raised in the Cook Islands and moved over to New Zealand when he was about 19. My nana sent him over for a better life. And my mum was born in New Zealand, but lived in Raro for a little while, which is where she met my dad. Um, as a young couple, uh, my mum came over first and then my dad followed not long after. Um, you know, they, they decided to build a life for themselves. And uh, um, in search of a better life, you know, you come to a bigger country, you start working from the bottom, you, you just start putting your money aside and they made really good choices in terms of what they want to do, what they want to achieve mm. uh, really early on. Um, and, you know, when I came along, then the focus was put on to kind of me, like where I was going, what I wanted to do, what my dad, you know, had entailed for me um, in my future. And I guess, you know, because my, my pathway was paved from a really young age, you know, I'm walking that pathway now. Mm. Are you an only child? I am. <laughs> Isn't that obvious? <laughs> <laughs> was was being an only child, because uh, I was an only child for 10 years, so I sort of have a feeling of, of only child life and then having a sibling arrive and, and what that was like. But what was being an only child like for you? Was it great or was it sometimes a little bit lonely? Uh, I think from memory, when I was 
really young, it was a bit lonely. Like, oh, you know, all my other cousins have got brothers and sisters and stuff like that. And then, you know, I didn't have any brothers or sisters come by, but I had lots of cousins. And we got, as I was growing up, we spent a lot of time with my cousins and even our extended family of my mum and dad's cousins as well. We got to go away and spend some time with them. So we grew up kind of as one. Um, our grandparents were kind of the um, the glue or the the meeting point mm. as such. And we got to, actually, I was reminiscing with my cousin last night about how we were able to, as kids, you know, go to Nan's and have our own little space cousins, younger cousins, older cousins, and I was one of the youngest ones um, growing up uh, on my mum's side. And, you know, like all of the aunties and uncles were outside playing ping pong around the back and then all the nans and and the old, the old aunties were sitting in the lounge having a coffee and catching up, you know, over those kinds of things. And so we were lucky to be able to get that dynamic where we are now still close, you know, mm. 20, 25 years later. Uh, we're popping by each other's homes and... You know, my cousin's kids see Auntie Phyllis every now and then. Um, and I was saying to him too, you know, it's, I don't want my nieces and nephews to not know who their auntie is. Mm. Not, not, not Auntie Golfer, but Auntie Phyllis. Yeah. Mm. You were quite sporty uh, right throughout your childhood. And I mean, played everything from, well, netball, did athletics, because um, you're quite tall as well. So netball's, netball's a pretty good sport to have gotten into. Tell me a little bit about those sports and how you ended up in golf. Oh. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, so my mum really loved netball. I was tall from a young age. Um, yeah, really, really tall actually compared to all of my friends, but really clumsy and you know, gumby ears, two left feet, crooked knees, um, and a big head. <laughs> just, yeah, just out of balance. And my mum used to really enjoy the game, so she got me into netball really early. I was, mm. would have been about four or five into Kiwi netball, and um, my parents loved, had quite an active lifestyle. They played touch and tag and um, indoor netball and dragon boating and uh, then got into wakaama. And so I would kind of just follow along, like, for the ride. My dad had training, so he picked me up after school and, you know, we'd go down to Lake Pupuke and he'd leave me in the car. And they'd jump in the, train, they'd jump in the canoes and go. Mm. And so every time they used to paddle past, I'd always flash the lights just to let them know that I was still there. <laughs> still okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and then as I went through into media, I got into shopping and discus kind of by accident one of the day off school, basically. Mm-hmm. And athletics so, day. Yeah, <laughs> athletics day. And so, um, you know, I was well into netball by then, was paddling already, took on shot put and discus. And because we lived in Avondale at that time, you know, the Avondale Spiders Athletics Club was, uh, had a reputation for the best throwers in the country. Mm. And it was down the road. So my mum and dad put me in athletics and I'd, I was competing, I think, from the age of 12 to 14 and then went and trained and competed with Auckland City Athletics. Um, I trained under Les Mills um, in my later high school days, right up until I was about 20. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was kind of a seasonal thing. You have netball in the winter and you've got Wakaama Athletics and in the summer and golf was like an all-year all thing, so... 
you know, whatever free weekend we had, we're out playing golf and um, after school, before school was netball training, after school was athletics. We just made it work. Mm. Um, yeah, and we, I guess when you have goals or when you've got things that you want to do and you want to keep pursuing it, you find the time and make it work. Did both mum and dad play golf? Uh, uh, Mainly dad. Yeah, my dad. <laughs> my dad loved the game. We, we've talked a little bit about your dad yeah, this morning <laughs> and how how your dad would, you know, sometimes be out from sunrise to sunset yeah. out on the golf course. With my of uncles, course. they were crazy about the game. <laughs> he just loved it. Like, my one of my uncles got him into the game um, and he just loved it. And then he started watching it on TV and he's like, well, these people play golf and they make a lot of money. It's on TV. You know, you can do that too. So, here, come on, we're going outside with the golf club. You're going to swing it. But it's too heavy, Dad. doesn't matter. Just try. <laughs> were you naturally talented at golf or was it something that you had to put an extra effort into growing your skill and capabilities in that space? Um, I was, I, I have really good hand-eye coordination. So, and also a very dynamic Playing other sport, it allowed me to transfer a lot of the other skills right. over. So I was, yeah, just lucky to be blessed with um, a dynamic, functional body that will allow me to get to hitting the golf ball well, could strike mm. it far, um, a lot further than my friends. But um, in hindsight, I probably didn't have the maturity for the game um, in my late teens, even th- right throughout my 20s. It's not... Uh- a cheap game. <laughs> it's not a cheap sport. It comes with a lot of equipment that you have to purchase. That's uh, especially if you want to be professional, you have to have the right gear. You have to have the right, you know, right down to your towels. <laughs> You've got to have the right everything. Was did, were you aware of of what came with that? Um, what came with golf when you were at that age, and what your parents were sort of investing in you at that time? Not, no, no, not at all. Actually, not up until maybe, uh, you know, the later stages of my golfing career uh, on the tour. There was always a sense of urgency with money, Um, you know, just be careful with your money kind of thing. But I didn't understand the actual uh, cost or investment required to play the game while I was growing up. And it wasn't until just recently when I started um, doing my PGA traineeship with the with a company that I used to go and practice at in Sakapuna, mm-hmm. I realised, you know, my dad, my dad paid for a set of golf clubs that were expensive. Um, he invested, you know, heavily on the, the cost of golf balls so I can practice. And then also, you know, the amount of time that it would take for him to pick me up from school, take me to Takapuna, hit golf balls for a few hours, um, go home, swing again, and then, you know, do my mm. homework and go to bed. Like, that investment day after day, um, it didn't really dawn on me until I kind of reflect on it now. When did you realise you were transitioning from golf as a sport that you played to golf as a profession that you wanted to get into and have it become a huge part of your career? It became a decision after I won my first world championship on the long drive tour in 2006. You know, I was on the cusp of playing franchise netball um, and I, I really enjoyed netball that time too. But also after winning a world championship and earning 
you know, my first paycheck in golf, which was fourteen thousand US dollars. Um, I then it opened it then opened my eyes to well, you know, you took photography photography at school, so you, there's sport photography, there's event management, you can run a golf club, you can play events, you can run events, you can mm-hmm. um, put on all of these things in the industry just around the game of golf, and the opportunities in netball at that time weren't that great, so for me it was a no brainer. Um, in saying that, at that time it was a no brainer, no brainer, but. Looking back now, I think, well, I could have gone anyway, really, mm. and it might have been okay if I went down the netball pathway or another pathway. That championship that you won, so you were the first Kiwi and the youngest ever to win the World Long Drive Championship in 2006? Yes. How old were you? 19 years and three months. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Tell me a bit about the World Long Drive Championship, because I think... For me, who's a complete novice and noob when it comes to golf, <laughs> I, I know what I see on television. I know who Tiger Woods is um, and Lydia Ko. Like, I know these names. I don't really know a lot about the sport. What is long drive a particular discipline and what does it entail? Long drive is a discipline of golf. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to hit the driver as far as possible down a fairway where it finishes. So it's like where it lands and where it rolls out, then it gets measured from where you tee off to there. Um, in competition, when I first started in 2006, it was six golf balls, two minutes and 45 seconds. Um, and you had this, you had six golf balls that you had the same shot to try and get your clock your furthest distance. And it's kind of like shot put and discus where you get your first three, three puts uh, so it's throws. not about getting a hole in one. No, it's There's no not. hole. It's about smacking the crap out of the golf ball <laughs> down the fairway <laughs> as far as possible. And that's the best part of the game. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me when you say driving off the tee is the funnest part of the sport. Mm. People spend thousands of dollars on a new driver, but they don't spend that much money on a putter. When in actual fact, you know, putting is what costs, what costs or could save your game. So, um, yeah, I... I agree with it. I still stand by it. Um, and whenever I have, you know, as new students or clients come through, I'm always looking at trying to swing the bat a little bit fir- a little bit faster and get a bit more power out of the swing so that you can hit the ball further and enjoy the game more. Mm. You've now won three yes. of those World Long Drive Championships. Where where are the strongest competitors? Where else in the world? Because you are a Cook Islands, New Zealand woman who is from, you know, who's been born and bred here in Auckland. Where are your biggest competitors? Are they here in New Zealand or are they out there in the world? Um, they're out there in the world, yep. Um, so we also have a five-time world champion from Sweden, Sandra Karlborg. She came in literally the year after I had finished um, and I think long drive took a bit of a nosedive for a little while, especially in the women's division, because of some political things that occurred in 2008 with a post-op transgendered female coming in to win. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I lost her in the 2008 final. She won. And it, yeah, in terms of the sport and the um, the uh, I guess the what do you call it? Like, just the, the stigmatism around you know transgendered women competing against women in sport. Mm. So, 
it made things extremely hard for us. And by then, in 2009, I decided I wanted to go and play on the tour. Like, I'm here, I'm already halfway there. I can get the ball off the tee, I just need to be able to finish it off. And that's what led me down to the tour golfing realm. I wanted to play golf uh, as a professional, but that kind of gave me a bit of a leg up in terms of wanting to move further down a professional golfing um, career. So there are lots of competitors. We've got um, in the top five at the moment, um, myself, Sandra, uh, Chloe Garner from South Africa. She's a CrossFitter. She played college golf. She's an absolute beast. She lifts sometimes a little bit more than what the guys on the long drive tour uh, lift. Um, and she's awesome. Then you've got the athletic Alexis Belton, who plays on the ladies' Symmetra tour, and also uh, Troy Mullins. That um, she's super athletic as well. Yeah, I mean the competition's out there, but I feel at the moment I'm kind of in my prime of hitting the ball well. Mm-hmm. I've got the maturity to win, um, and yeah, I just I can't wait to get back up there to compete. You've, you win these awards and one of them um, we photographed this morning, which was so cool and so different that I was like, hang on, are you a UFC fighter as well? When you won your, was it your most recent um, long drive championship, you got a belt. And so you got this, um, those who are listening, if you've ever watched UFC or MMA and you see them being rewarded with their title belts, it's very much like that. Yep. It's quite spectacular, and it's not something that I would ever expect to be associated with golf, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, long drive is a power-hitting sport, right? Yeah. And so with power-hitting comes the UFC, where power hits are um, are what win fights. Um, And I guess Golf Channel, who uh, we're running long drive um, in America, were like, well, you know, this is a power-hitting sport, Um, you know, let's make this grand and instead of having trophies, let's create a belt. Mm. And that belt is definitely something, isn't it? It's heavy. <laughs> it's really heavy. <laughs> and it's really cool because it's so different. <laughs> I, felt, I felt a little bit like not putting it on, but, you know, just having a photo with it or something because it, it, it just was that extra bit spectacular. Um, it, being a power-hitting sport comes with a lot of, you know, building your body to be able to hit that power. What does training look like for you? Are you, Waka Ama is still a big part of your life. Are you in the CrossFit gyms? Are you lifting weights? Are you, or is, you know, what does a training regime look like for you to be at that professional competition, international winning level? So when I went back into uh, World Long Drive in 2016, I was a lot leaner. Um, I'd just come off a professional golf career. So, I mean, women tend to compare themselves with other women. And on the golfing tour, there are a lot of women out there that want to look a certain way. And when you go to the LPGAQ school, um, the first thing they say is you're no longer in the sporting um, industry, you're in entertainment. Mm. And so what you look like and who you represent, those kinds of things are more important than you actually playing the game. And I never forgot that. And this happened in 2010 when I was up in America then. I never forgot that. So a lot of my training is more functional training. Um, as you can see, I'm not that ripped. 
<laughs> I'm still very full. You're a pretty ribbed woman. <laughs> but I am strong. Um, and I enjoy doing physical things that have a physical benefit without having to go to the gym. So I love wakama. I love playing netball. Um, I enjoy the physicality of both sports. And, um, you know, with long drive comes a bit of muscle growth that's required in order to be able to recover quicker. You are hitting the golf ball as hard as you can. It's not like golf where you have to hit it down the fairway all the time. You get mm. six shots to go, but you've got to hit them fast. So my gym regime is pretty simple. Um, I don't do CrossFit because it creates too many injuries. Um, but I do believe in being strong, period. So, uh, yeah, I train four or five times a week. Most of that's on the water, which I love doing. Mm. I love hanging out with my friends doing that. We all have a common goal of trying to get the canoe moving as fast as possible. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, we stay strong and it allows me to hit the ball a long way still. When I think about golf and when I, excuse me, even when I look out uh, onto the golf course today, it's, it is still very much a white man's sport. And it uh, is still very much in all parts of that um, in all layers I suppose of competition it is still a male dominated sport in particular what is it like for you to be a Pacific woman in this industry yeah it's um, let's just take long drive for example Um, you know you would think and by the looks of it from the outside that golf or even long drive is a meritorious sport, right? You you win based on how well you play. Mm. However, what you do off of the golf course is still a sport too, right? Um, if you look at, you know, first of all, I'm not the look that they're after. I'm tall, I'm big, um, I'm Polynesian. Uh, I'm not from America. All of those things kind of count against me. And being an Islander, first of all, it it requires us, being an Islander actually and female, first of all, it, it makes us have to work like harder. Mm-hmm. We have to, we've got to give that extra just to get even the bare minimum. And, um, you know, with working extra, by the time you actually get your foot through the door, sometimes you're too tired. Sometimes you have to kind of suck it up harder than everybody else that's already got the free flow or they've, they've gone through the front door where you've had to kick yourself through the side door um, just to get in and then you have to work harder again to try and catch up. Mm. And so, um, you know, with it being meritorious, if you are world number one and you have all of these records under your belt, don't you think you should be paid the most? Well, in long drive, especially in a superficial world of uh, in America and golf, especially too, you know, I had someone who was ranked fourth being paid more than I was. Wow. You know, and some would say, you know, that's your fault because you didn't go get it. Why should I, if I, if I've already worked hard enough to get to the top and be a world champion uh, three times? There are only three of us that have ever conquered that before in, in history. One American, one Swedish girl, myself. Um, why shouldn't I be paid the most? Why shouldn't I get that accolade? Why shouldn't I get that when we've worked so hard to do so? Um, 
So we have a lot of those questions that go through our mind. Uh, well, I do. I have that question go through my mind, which is why, you know, coming home, COVID has been a blessing in a way where I'm actually able to push more um, for what's right and having our girls stand up for themselves, say what they mean and mean what they say um, and not feel guilty about pissing off the other person mm -hmm. just because it's not what they thought, it's not their view or they don't agree with you. And it does get tricky when you're thinking about, not when you're thinking about, when you're doing, when you're pushing boundaries, when you're making ripples, when you're calling people out, when you're um, making those comparisons really obvious, it gets tricky to hold your ground because in the back of your mind, I'm not saying you in particular, but for people who choose to make a stand in these types of spaces because they deserve to and should, um, it gets tricky to then go, do I push that little bit further? Does that ostracize me from this group of people? Does that put me on the back foot because I'm making these ripples? Like you're trying to achieve something on the one hand, getting better recognition, fairer recognition and representation, really pointing out the, um, you know, the privilege that others have and really making it obvious that this, you know, whatever sport, because this is one sport and there are other sports that do this as well, um, that the, the system is unfair. And on the other hand, you're going, but if I push too far, do I risk it all and never get to that point and never get recognised the way that I should be. How do you find that balance? Because it's not, it's not easy. And especially when you're one of very few Polynesian women and then one of, you know, very few champions, how do you find the balance? And are there points where you do have to stop and go, this is too much of a risk? See, we grew up in a society, especially... Māori and Pacifica grew up in a society of, you know, like, don't burn bridges because you might mm. need them later. And if you are standing up for what's right, it shouldn't burn a bridge. Um, but also, you know, you know, you when, when you take the risk of pissing somebody off because they don't believe in you or your view, even though you know dead smack it's right, culturally first, uh, culturally and morally first, um, and then, you know, as it should be, um, it, it, you are stuck culturally where, where your parents tell you don't burn bridges. But then you're also stuck too. Like if I don't stand up for myself, then this person's not going to take me seriously either. They're just going to think that this stuff is okay. It's unspoken stuff. Mm -hmm. There are unspoken rules that are broken all the time because you as a person don't want to feel like you're annoying that person or pissing that person off because, you know, that's your paycheck or that's, um, that's, your, next, that's your next feed. Mm. Um, there go your free golf clubs that you need uh, to compete. Sometimes it is a risk, but if you, know, if you know that in your heart of hearts what you're saying is right, then stick up for yourself and be okay with that because at the end of the day... You know, you can you can sleep at night knowing that you did the right thing versus doing the wrong thing, and um, you know, in the sense, but doing the wrong thing is uh, is allowing this person to do this to you, so that you can just keep the friendship for another another day later. Mm. And is it worth it? One of the things that you um, actively work towards is growing the game and 
one of the things I know you're passionate about is growing the game for young Māori and Pacifica women and filling the spots uh, that have been left. Um, one of the things that you have spoken about as well is preparing those Māori and Pacifica women for opportunities at universities in the States. Is that where the golf, is that where you you will grow the most in golf? And is that where our young Māori and Pacifica women who are wanting to excel in the sport should be looking towards? Yeah, if there is anything that I could do, go back and do, like in my late teens, it's go to college in America. Go and experience... Um, what the college system's like, go and experience one of the hardest amateur um, and most fierce amateur competitions in golf in the world um, and and just see what it's like. You know, you get a free education with sport. Knowledge is power. Being knowledgeable is powerful. And so, you know, it, education isn't everything. It's not for everybody, but it is a good stepping stone to being able to create growth in one's mindset, um, to experience and become a little bit more worldly so that we are mindful of where we come from, um, but also experience the outer world and see what that's like and mm. just, you know, uh, test yourself against the um, against the standards and see where you're at. And if, if a professional career is something that you want to pursue, then great. If not, that's okay too. You know, you want to come back and help your people or you want to do something else, whatever it is you want to do. You know, these are experiences that um, we have available to us overseas. So that's why I want to be a part of that. I didn't have those kinds of um, those kinds of opportunities or I didn't have people that were willing to actively push you into university um, and play, play for a college. They were too worried about playing for their province or playing for New Zealand when... Mm -hmm. You know, the competition isn't here, the competition's overseas. Lydia is like a unicorn for us in New Zealand. We're not going to get another one of her. Um, we do have a few boys that represent us on the on the PGA and European tours and stuff like that, but again, Lydia is definitely a unicorn. And we don't we might not see another Lydia for a long while. However, there are some other experiences in the golfing industry like long drive like trickshot artistry and Tanya Tare, um, who is who is also another Indigenous woman, um, that is building a career for herself, doing trick shots. Who would have known? Mm. Discrimination aside, is this a lucrative sport? It can be. Yep, it can be. Again, knowledge is power. So, you know, knowing where your place is um, in the sport in terms of if you're leading, you should be wearing blah. Um, and if you're still on your way up, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. Ask for help from, like, people that already know. Reach out to, I, I remember reaching out to Dame Val just about relationships while you're on the road. Um, I, I'm lucky now I have a platform that allows me to kind of reach out to some other other great athletes. I still keep in touch with Lydia here and there, just saying congratulations um, mm -hmm. for a recent win um, and just letting her know that we're proud. And, you know, that kind of thing might not mean a lot to them, but it means a lot to me that they even reply so that when I have, when I have talks with younger girls trying to come up, it's like, hey, look, you've got to direct connect to me. If there's anything you want to ask me, please ask away. And if there's anything that I, if there's something that you ask me that I don't know the answer for, I'll go find it. 
even if it's asking Lydia, you know, what did you used to eat for lunch when you were <laughs> when you were thirteen? <laughs> it just might be the thing that gets you over the line. <laughs> yeah. Sponsorships in sport are huge, and when you come to individual sports like this, um, sponsorships can keep your career going. They can keep your food on your table and your bills paid and that sort of stuff. How easy is it or how difficult is it, I suppose, to get and maintain sponsorships? Because, uh, I mean, aside from seeing athletes that are sponsored by Nike, um, you don't... I don't understand the world of sponsorships at all, yet it's such a huge part of professional sport, and especially when it's individual sport. What has that experience been like for you? How difficult has it been, or easy has it been? It's been really hard. Female in golf. Mm. Um, I'm lucky... I'm lucky... Uh, after I graduated from university in 2016 and after winning my first, my second world championship, excuse me, um, I came across Maury Sellen, who is um, first black American uh, world long drive champion in 2018. I met him. So we were both at world championships. I didn't know who he was, but uh, nonetheless, I competed, he competed, and he came down to New Zealand in 2016 in November and he reached out and was just like, look, I know we don't know each other, but it'll be an honour to meet you. You're our world champion. You know, I'm coming down to Auckland. Um, it'll be great to just meet you. And I wasn't a part of the event that he was coming, a long drive event that he was coming down to compete in. But, you know, you play my sport. You're in my country, in my city. I'll find some time. Let's go have a drink and let's catch up. Totally. Um, and, you know... When I went to meet with him, we went for a really long walk along um, Tamaki Drive and we just spoke about our careers. We spoke about golf, we spoke about technology and how things have changed. We spoke about golf operations because that's what I was in at the time. Goals, um, all these different types of things. And I said to him, I was like, but lately since I've been home, you know, everything kind of just pisses me off. Like I'm a little bit annoyed. And I said, I look at the girls that are in America at the moment competing and they can't even hit out of their shadow. Yet they've got all of these sponsorship endorsements. They've got all of this free stuff that comes their way. And we were, I think we were standing opposite like Les Mills or something down on, um, down on Key Street. And he's like, sometimes when you're in a, in a country, a small country like New Zealand, it's like looking out a small little peephole window. Mm. And you can see what just... Your view is only, you know, so big. It's a little peephole window. And he says, but if you look across the road, coming to America was like looking up through this huge plain window. It was like one of the main windows at the gym. And he says, now that you can see all these different types of things, these all, all these different types of opportunities, you're pissed because you want some of those opportunities to come your way. Why shouldn't you? You're a two-time world champion. Mm. And he goes, if I can help you, would you come back to America? And I was like, oh. I was kind of content with, you know, I've won my second world championship. I'm not playing golf anymore. I'm in a career that I actually enjoy doing because I was good at it. Um, and even though I wasn't holding the golf club, I was still running events and I was still in amongst the, the mm -hmm. golfing industry. And, you know, I enjoy that. I enjoy meeting the members. I enjoy having kids come in and you say hi, um, not because you're a two-time world champion, but because you're just Phyllis. 
And, um, you know, this was November by April. I was on the plane going to America to compete in three tour events that were run by the Golf Channel. And um, trying to seek sponsorship, even just as a world champion, was hard. Female. Who know, yeah, Are you going to be televised? Are you even good? Do we know you? We don't know you. Um, are you worth our investment? And so my first year on, in 2017 on the tour, we had three events that were televised. Um, I think I made all TV, event, all TV finals, but I had uh, two, seconds, two seconds and a third. And for me, after that year, like if you look back at it, you're like, oh, you know, two seconds and a third is good. But the way that I swung the golf club and how quick I was swinging it, which was like five, six miles faster than every other girl mm. and still losing, that pissed me off. <laughs> so it, it got a bit of fire up my backside to at least get out there and sell myself properly. Grateful to have Maurice just kind of direct me and say, hey, look, this is the way that you need to go. That's the way you need to go. You need to contact that person immediately just to keep, um, keep my finger on the pulse and make sure that every time I move my finger, the pulse is getting stronger. Mm. And so being able to get sponsorship um, for a, a female in golf is extremely hard. A lot of the girls that play on like the Symmetra Tour, which is a tour below, tour below the LPGA, a lot of those girls aren't being sponsored. They're using their prize money as food, as food money. Prize money should be your savings, should be a Kiwi saver. And, you know, having a professional sponsorship is so important because it pays for your day-to-day stuff, mm. like eating, like accommodation, like travel, um, like clothes. And it's not just golfing clothes, it's, you know, workout gear. Um... And it's, it's cool to get, you know, sponsorship in kind, if you like, or have a partnership because, you know, what's a free T-shirt? What's a free pair of tights or skirts and stuff like that? But actually having money in your pocket to be able to spend it on food is another thing. And it's extremely hard. And I was just lucky. I had a TV presence uh, on the World Long Drive Tour, which allowed me sponsorship, which allowed me to be able to put my, my prize money to the side, mm. like a Kiwi saver. Um, and use the professional money to be able to live day to day. When we look at your successes and the career you've had so far, and your career is, you know, there's a lot more in you to to explore and to uh, win. <laughs> and we look at the amazing achievements of, you know, you being one of very few, one of three women who've won the world. Uh, championships three you know three times that's huge and while we can take pride and and claim you as a woman of Aotearoa you you come from an island even smaller than that (laughs) Uh, in the Cook Islands in Rarotonga and I just want to ask like what does it mean to you to be representing such a small island nation everywhere you go as well because yes Aotearoa is small Rarotonga is tiny. You can drive around it in a day. <laughs> um, but what does that mean for you and mean for your family to have such huge world success and have such strong roots and connections and inherited to a place so little? <laughs> um, I really didn't embrace my culture or my people until recently. And it, it wasn't, I mean, 
when I say recently, it's because I haven't been home for a while. Mm. So I was out exploring and experiencing different things. But I was, it, it, it doesn't, I don't have like a sense of pride, but I have a sense of like uh, gratitude that mm. comes in um, to be proud of where I've come from, to be proud of where my ancestors have come from and how they traveled, how they navigated themselves around the Pacific to, you know, eventually settle. Unfortunately, some people's ancestors don't have that, um, don't have that history or story that they can be necessarily proud of. Some people still don't know where they've come from, uh, where I've been living over the last four or five years. Mm. And um, to be frank, that's, it's heartbreaking seeing that. And, you know, also speaking the same language of those people that stole you mm. from your country, from your continent. Um, you know, I just, I always get a sense of gratitude of, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because um, I have a heritage that is full of navigation and we're still exploring. Um, I'm grateful that uh, we have a language that's unique to ourselves um, in our small, tiny island, but also in Polynesia um, with our different dialects. Um, and then I'm also grateful to be able to well, to be offered the opportunities, you know, that the universe throws at us that allows me to, you know, allows my parents to come to New Zealand and mm. and grow as people. And then I come along and I get to experience these opportunities and then I can move on to, you know, somewhere bigger that has an industry that's almost endless because there are so many golf nuts out there. <laughs> yeah, I just have a sense of gratitude more than anything. I don't know what it's like for my family. Um, I'm just... You know, I'm just Phyllis at home, which is nice. Um, even little Phyllis in Raro, which is even less significant, but that's okay. I love that. Three-time world champion, but when you go home, you're little Phyllis. Yeah. Every Your family always keep you humble, eh? Yeah. Keep you grounded. Yeah, I, I remember, like, visiting Raro, my nan, one time, and, you know, I'm looking out the window. It's a little bit windy. I was like, oh, it's too windy to rake the rubbish, Shane eh, nan? And she looks at me and she's like, can you see the rubbish moving around? I was like, no. She's like, so do you think it's too windy? <laughs> and she just rolled her eyes and she's like, sit down. <laughs> sit down, put your shoes on and go outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, before I ask you a little bit about some of the Indigenous women that inspired you, I just remembered or I just got triggered by a, a, a thing that you had mentioned earlier about... Um, you in your younger years uh, being enrolled in ballet. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and when I was like, I don't know, maybe five or six, I have very vague memories of once being enrolled in ballet. It's such a different thing. What, what was, how old were you when you were in ballet? Oh, uh, my mum put me in ballet when I was about six, seven, oh, yeah. six or seven. Oh man, I was going to be ass. So well, my mum... I mean, you talk about being clumsy and, yeah. <laughs> and having two left feet and everything when you're playing sports. So, you know, ballet needs quite a bit of coordination right. and balance. <laughs> it, was, it was purely for that reason. Um, ballet and then gymnastics. Um, I had no sense of awareness at all. And, um, you know, I'll, we'll be walking and there's nothing in my way and I'm falling over just <laughs> out of nowhere. So... 
my mum put me in ballet um, when I was young and every Tuesdays we had to wear like bike shorts and I was a real tomboy um, kind of girl growing up. And so my friends used to ask me, like, why are you wearing those shorts? I'm like, I've got ballet after school. Ooh, ballet. <laughs> why are you playing rugby? <laughs> Yeah. Did uh, you ever perform on the stage? No like, did way. You ever do, oh, no, 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 no two, I never lasted that oh, long. Okay, okay. No <laughs> way. No way. So just one of those things that you once did, but... <laughs> it's something that I had to go through in order to be what I am. <laughs> we've we've talked a little bit about your mum and your nana, your, some of your cousins, and, and I know that there are also a number of um, Pacifica athletes that you have... Uh, looked up to over the years, but who are some Indigenous women or who is an Indigenous woman that has inspired you through your journey? Um, growing up when I was doing athletics, uh, Beatrice Fomwina had just kind of, she was just retiring. And Val, Val's a few, Valerie Adams is a few years older than I am, but she was like already world champion by the time she was, I think, 15 or 16. I went to school with her. <laughs> she was already amazing and we were all in high school. <laughs> yeah, and then she had this persona. She was a, she was such a performer. She was just able to put on this persona when we were competing. And, you know, at training, you're like, oh, hey, you know, how are you? Mm. Crack jokes, talk a lot kind of thing. But as soon as you were in competition, she would look at you like you are nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and she made you feel like nothing. <laughs> and that was just... Like, that was her as a competitor, and it never really dawned on me until, you know, like, later on in life when I was actually trying to take this seriously, um, where I understood why she did what she did. And, you know, for Polynesian women, we are able to utilise our power and strength in a graceful manner. And I don't know if you know what it takes to throw a discus or a shot put, but, you know, a shot putter actually has a faster start than a 100-metre runner. Um... And to be able to put that much power and strength in a small amount of space, whether it be, you know, spinning in the circle on the discus or, you know, gliding across the circle for shot put, you know, these girls are powerful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was also in a power sport too, which is powerful. And, um, you know, those girls I looked up to basically because I had no choice, but more so, you know, now I still look up to them because of what they're doing Um now, today. And just in the world, like the contribution that they're making in the world outside of their sport as well. Totally. Is amazing. Yeah. I know that you are extremely passionate about growing the sport and getting more Māori and Pacifica young women into this sport. Or even just getting women into the sport would be amazing. What is your hope for the future of Indigenous women? What I'd like to see is more of us on the world stage. Mm. Um, what I've what I've tried to do over the last couple of years, especially using long drive as a platform, is broaden the top so that it's not so top heavy. Um, maintain maintain my culture and my outlook so that there are other Polynesian girls that don't have to feel like they have to look skinny to be somewhere, but that you know you let your actions speak for you. Um, be able to speak out and um, stay true to who they are rather than having to try and conform um, to other people's expectations. Like, whose expectations are you living to? Um, I'd like to see, you know, um, more women in the organisation of the New Zealand PGA, more Indigenous women. 
um, that right now we only have seven female members. Let's get some diversity up in this joint. Not necessarily just in women, but in Pacifica and Māori. We need more Polynesians in Gulf in order to foster Polynesians in Gulf. And how can we do that if, you know, we're not doing it ourselves and leading from the front? We always talk about, you know, like, first the worst, that saying. Well, it is. Being the first is the worst. It's not about, you know, being the first, I've done this, I'm here. Well, once you get to being first, you have to turn around and pull everybody else up. Why broaden that platform so that more people can stand on that stable, stable ground so that you can carry on, create a wider base and then keep going up together. We as people, especially our Polynesian people, work far better together. So the saying of, you know, it takes a village to, to raise a child, it's true. You know, we have influence of aunties and uncles and nannies and, you know, other aunties and aunties that aren't even related to us um, being a part of our upbringing. Well, that's, that's fading out in our sport right now. So my goal here in New Zealand, especially with my PGA traineeship, is to um, invest in inspiring more adults or aunties and uncles to play the game so that they can bring their nieces and nephews and say, hey, look, this is what I learned at golf lessons. Mm. You know, this is how you hold the stick. Yeah. Um, that's how my friends grew up playing. That's how I grew up playing is I learned this, now you learn it. Um, I hope to continue that and I hope that, um, you know, we can inspire more Polynesian girls to do this, to want to do the same thing. And that's the only way that we can grow the sport. That's awesome. We've talked about your great achievements. Are there some more on the horizon? What does the future hold Phyllis Mitty. Well, I'd like to compete more. Yeah. And I'd like to be knocked off my block from the top <laughs> on purpose rather than kind of fading out on a high. Mm. Um, I'm okay with that. But what I would like to achieve, you know, away from the sport is, again, bridging those gaps and being able to have a facility in the United States so that when kids that go through high school in New Zealand want to play college golf in America or any kind of college sport, they can come over and they've got someone, they've got like an auntie Phyllis that they can come and stay with and talk to and if they need some support, you know, fly over and see them or if they need to boot up the ass, mm -hmm. you know, go over and see them and give them that, um, give them that support that they need and I feed them um, the best way possible and, you know, be a part of that recruitment process so that when I look their parents in the eye and say, I've got your kid, I actually do. And the parents feel safe about being able to let their kids go. Um, we have an issue, you know, our parents have an issue. Our kids don't want to leave home, but our parents also have the issue of not wanting their kids to leave home because it's too far, not safe, can't get to you, too expensive. And I want to break down those barriers so they feel a lot more comfortable with being able to send their kids over to America and experience the things that I've been experiencing, which I'm super grateful for. I really want you to do that too. <laughs> Like, I know that this is your dream, but I'm, I don't have any other way that I can back you but by saying, I hope that this happens for you. And I would love to see you create that and achieve that because I think that would just be phenomenal for our young people. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for taking us on a tour of the golf course and uh, giving us our first ride in the golf buggy. And Taylor had said while we were in the golf buggy, or I had said, this is my first time in a golf buggy. And Taylor said, this is my first time in a golf buggy on a golf course. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So no matter what mischief people get up to, (laughs) it has been a really great experience. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.